Hello, gothic horror fans. My name is Jess, and this is Cam Cat Unwrapped. You've been listening to The Taxidermist Lover by Polly Hall, which was shortlisted for the Bram Stoker Awards of 2020 and won a gold medal at the IPPY Awards of 2021. Today, we have the author Polly Hall with us here for a virtual interview all the way from London. And I'm so excited, or not London, from England. And I'm so excited to chat with you today, Polly. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for asking me. Yeah, not London. Not I'm London. Southwest. <laughs> Southwest of London. I, in my brain, yeah. because I've been to London, that's the only place in the UK that I've been every... I, I don't know if, if this is a very common thing, but like how when people think of the United States, I think a lot of time people think of, or when people think of Los Angeles, they think of Hollywood. When people think of the United yeah. States, they think of LA. <laughs> uh, yeah. So to me, well, I was I like, I actually think London. of New York. So oh, okay. completely the wrong direction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just thinking of one specific place in there, obviously there are so many other places within the country, <laughs> but, but in my brain, I was like, yes, the UK, obviously. London. <laughs> uh, but speaking of not being in London and being southwest of London, why don't you tell us, we can start by you telling us a little bit about yourself and, and where you're from and all of the, all of the little background knowledge we're all dying to know. Well, I'm, I do live in the southwest of England, which um, is divided up into counties. So I live in Somerset, which is quite a sort of diverse county so we've got fields we've got little cities we've got a coastline mm. um some sort of like really beautiful areas of natural beauty nat natural um environments um and lots of wetlands mm. so which would you you would probably call marshes or bogs i guess <laughs> um which attract quite a lot of of bird life and uh, natural wildlife so it's it's a it's a beautiful place to live and very rural um and i grew up not far from where i live now so i've not really um i've been traveling and then come back um to the place where i grew up so i know it very well and i um yeah i love it here and a lot of people move here from different places in the world um in the town where i live there's lots of different nationalities and um europeans or international uh people that have come and settled here so we're quite a, a diverse community and quite a creative community so i know a lot of people who are artists and writers and oh wow performers and poets and we have quite a good scene of uh, that kind of performance art and theatres and it's just it's just a lovely place to be and and just um, a real nice sense of community as well which is really important for me where I live um, I like peace it's very quiet very dark oh that's it's perfect for sort of writing and the type of writing that I like it's got the perfect atmosphere <laughs> to, yeah to conjure up the stories it sounds so, like so, yeah. it wow and that's where i live um i don't know if you want me to tell you a bit about my background yes please how yeah I came to be a writer so i have always journaled i like writing diaries and 
as long as I can remember, I've kept journals of mostly my inner thoughts, obviously like the teenage angst years, um, and also dream life. I dream very vividly and I've always remembered my dreams. So I write mm. a lot in journals about my dreams, the symbols, the mood, the the action and it's just my way of kind of making sense of what's going on in my head and sometimes I'll use it for material sometimes I will just leave it and not even reread it but it's quite good to look back on specific events when I've written um, in my journal and see if it ties up with other things going on in the world or other things that sort of a, a wider perspective sure so so I sort of came to writing through just I guess it's a sort of personal journey and self-discovery and a way of making sense of the world and um I I read as as a child I was always reading I constantly had books um sort of piled up by my bed in my bedroom bookshelves and from an early age I kind of was drawn to uh dark stories like Roald Dahl his his books are mm. very real they're the, the characters are, are not fluffy and nice they are they're, they're sometimes quite nasty and horrific you know if you think of um some of the like the twits i remember quite vividly reading that one and they, they were just horrible to each other you know but that sure. was great reading that as a child and and how how people interacted with each other and their lives their sort of private lives um and obviously his tales of the unexpected which are quite you know about the uncanny and the um with a hint of darkness so you know often I would be reading that and not really knowing it was it was in a specific genre i never really knew about genre when i was reading i just liked to choose things that made me think or made me um you know sort of engaged me with with reading um often characters often um the reason why the meaning why people did things so obviously Stephen King was um, lined up on my bookshelf. Sure. I, I just read nearly every book, every Stephen King book. So there's, I think my dad kind of liked Stephen King, so I always mm. like had his books after. Um, and yeah, so so I I read a lot, and then I the catalyst for actually writing. A novel came from um, when I was I was I was actually quite poorly in my late thirties, and I um, was quite seriously ill, mm. and I had a sort of I know people say that and it sounds a bit cliche, but I sort of thought, what am I doing with my life? And I realised that I really do want to be seen as a writer and I do want to get my writing out there into the world so I so I applied for um, a course uh, at Bath Spa Uni and I and I started it was just a year 
um, course, an MA, a master's in creative writing. And that was a, it was quite an initiation because I was still recovering from quite major surgery and being, you know, very, from being very poorly to having to go into straight, straight into very intensive, you know, sort of post uh, graduate education um, where we were sort of writing and having to read and write quite a lot. So it's very, it's a lot of academic work. Um, And I, and at that point I had started with a different book um, and halfway through I wrote a short story um, which turned out to be the start of The Taxidermist Lover. Oh, so wow. then I switched my manuscript and said to my tutor, look, I don't know, I'm not getting very, getting on very well with this old, the new, you know, the, the manuscript that I'd originally submitted. I said, shall I just carry on with this story? And she's like, well, there's still time. People can do it. You know, people have changed further on um, down the line. So, yeah, if you, if you feel that's the one you want to write then write that one so that is how that came about actually wow a change in just uh you know change halfway through so I didn't make it easy for myself by any means (laughs) (laughs) I just I just uh decided at that point that I needed to shelve the other story which was a kind of horror it was sort of based around tarot cards and um it had a female character and but it 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 just kept like doing like a loop around and i just couldn't grasp it so Mm. i i'm glad in a way that i had this other idea and then i went with that one so that's how i came to doing to to being published when i i contacted camcat and yeah and then and then the rest is history so that's how that sort of set me on the path so I guess in a way, I I always think things happen for a reason. So I guess getting ill and having to, you know, sort of an enforced um, convalescence where I couldn't move, I couldn't, wow. couldn't get very far because mm. I was recovering. So I had to I had to read a lot and I had to think a lot, and I was in my head. Like, because my body was trying to sure um, regenerate, so yeah, had to spend so, energy it, somewhere. Yeah, so in a way, like, because my mind was so active, I needed to somehow have an outlet for that. So wow, yeah, I think everything's for a reason, and yeah, it sort of set me on the path. That's so beautiful. I love that, and I love that way of thinking. I love how you came to be a writer. That all is very cool. I mean, I have so many questions based off of what you said, uh, but I'll, I'll start with my, my first question, which was, what did you do before you were a writer? If, if you said it was your mid-30s that you kind of decided, mm. okay, this is now, I want to be a writer, when you fell ill and, and just decided yeah. to change your life path, what were you doing before that? I, so I, I did the whole usual school thing, the, the, the exams a levels degree and then i went into business administration and marketing Mm. so i was in offices i worked a lot kind of with i did a lot of writing actually i always ended up in roles where i would write the newsletter or write um or 
do editing of a of a journal or something so there was there was always an element of writing okay. involved in my administration jobs um i've worked for um sort of big companies like uh i my one of my first jobs was working for a radar defense company oh and, wow um so it was all like signing the official secrets act which is hilarious because i can't keep a secret and, <laughs> you know it, it things like that and um and then i worked for charities so i worked for a homeless charity in bristol which is a city quite near um near somerset sort of on the the north of somerset and there's a lot of homelessness um in the city so a lot of my role was like fundraising and also arranging the opening of the, the shelter at christmas mm. and a lot of people need beds and somewhere to eat so that was a sort of um a way of meeting people and and finding out about their lives which i wouldn't normally have done um and then i've worked in um I, i've worked in kind of social services um all administrative type roles learnt to type you know um which comes in very handy as a writer touch typing um and and then i trained as a reflexologist so for 15 years i ran my own practice doing complementary therapy and had lots of private clients oh my gosh i did um workshops i did a teaching degree so i used to teach teach people how to do reflexology which is a therapy on the feet i don't know if you've heard yeah of i'm, I'm um, a little familiar i've never had it done but i i know of it yeah so i i said i did that for quite a quite a long time um and also was sort of writing so i'd write workshops and write you know newsletters and things so it was more sort of non-fiction but yeah that was a big part of my life the, the therapy side wow that what as i said when i got ill i i felt i couldn't sustain that as um you know physically i couldn't sustain that because it's a lot of energy when you're working one-to-one -one with people and that was sort of like then the catalyst to to move away from the, the therapy and into the writing career Sure. So yeah, that's that's a background of me. Yeah. In a nutshell. Well, okay, I mean that is so cool and it sounds like writing and even anatomy you said with reflexology and therapy um have always mm -hmm. been a part of your life, which leads me to uh I think the question that everyone is dying to know, what is your connection with taxidermy specifically? Oh, <laughs> taxidermy. Uh well i i mean i have always been aware that taxidermy was quite a cool thing i remember visiting as a child we had um a place in cornwall called jamaica inn which you might have heard of from the daphne de maurier novel um on which it's set and jamaica inn had at that time it's a big tourist kind of um visitor attraction now but before it had uh, a room filled with Walter Potter's uh, taxidermy in, and I don't know if you've heard of it, but 
it, he was a Victorian taxidermist who would do these little curios of stuffed animals dressed in human clothing. So there'd be like the um, little mice and little you know sort of and like tuxedos I feel like yeah, I've seen or, it but I didn't make the you connection will have seen it yeah if you google Walter Potter uh Walter Potter um, uh-huh. sadly his his collection got sold and split up to mm. private collectors so it's somewhere out there in the world but not as one whole collection they didn't manage to sell it as one whole collection I believe Um, So I remember seeing that as a child. And there were things in jars, like pickled fetuses, cat fetuses, like um, Siamese creatures, you know, Siamese um, cats with kittens with two heads and two bodies, but conjoined. And all those sort of bizarre um, representations of of things that were alive but had been kept preserved Mm -hmm. in some fashion and obviously like big castles we always used to go to castles and stately homes as a visit you know when you're um when you're on holiday and you get dragged around these these places and and then you see like something stuffed like a deer's head on the wall or a tiger or all the stuff from the colonial times when the british used to shoot and stuff pretty much anything and bring it back but I mean, in a way, it's it is still it's still there to be viewed. So a lot of the species, yeah, they did kind of decimate populations of African animals or Asian. You know, they'd come back with with these beautiful creatures, but they were preserved in such a manner that you can still see them today. Um, so in a way, uh, you know, if you're looking at conservationist. Um, viewpoint some of those things might not necessarily have been um represented well in in kind of books or or drawing but you're seeing it in a 3d uh actual 3d with the same it's it's their skin so taxidermy uses the skin the rest is just uh contrived sort of made up either a mold or um the traditional way which is like wood wool and wire and then the skin was put around it as a kind of sculpture so yeah the taxidermy has always interested me um and the the weird kind of death life thing you know like it's a dead thing but it looks like it could just move its head or sure at any moment so that that always just fascinated me like it's sort of like in the eyes the way they'd put in the eyes last and they would be have to be so specific to look like that particular creature's eyes otherwise it would look off you know it wouldn't your human brain wouldn't be able to reconcile that that was actually an eagle or a a wolf or whatever so yeah so i've I have met a taxidermist as well. I've met a couple of taxidermists in the flesh, wow. so to speak. So I've had a few chats with them, which is very interesting. Like how they, it's a, it's a very skilled job, actually. Mm-hmm. So you think about all the bad taxidermy, um, it's very easy to make bad taxidermy. I think it's quite difficult to make taxidermy so that the person viewing it 
believes that that creature was like that in real life. Absolutely. Yeah, um, actually, it's perfect that we ended up having to reschedule our interview from the last time that uh, we were supposed to get on because that very night, actually, I ended up um, going to the Natural History Museum and they were doing a live taxidermy demonstration. And it was wow, very cool because lucky you. Oh, it was very cool. I I knew so little about it, truthfully, except for what you had written about. And um, I just going to the demonstration, fresh off of being disappointed that we had to reschedule our interview, feeling like I still got to have a little taste of of uh, the the kind of questions I was hoping to ask you, or the kind of things that I was hoping to accomplish that day. I got a little taste of taxidermy in my day. Wow. What, um, what were they taxidermying? Um, there were some, it was birds were the, um, oh, they birds. were, mm. um, they, it was a taxidermist and an ornithologist. They were working together to kind of um, give the demonstration. And it was very, very cool. And we ended up staying there for way too long. My friends were like, Jess, you need to move on. <laughs> but I really, I, I was so fascinated. And I, again, I think it was because I was just, so, had been so excited to talk to you about taxidermy and, and to hear your fascination with it. And I just ended up asking a lot of the questions that I think I had wanted to ask you to this taxidermist I had sitting in front of me um so it wow. worked out really well for me in that moment I ended up going home thinking wow here I was thinking my day was uh with, with taxidermy was over <laughs> and and then I got to go to the natural <laughs> history museum and experience it in per live and in person so that was That's very incredible very cool and very special it seemed it felt very serendipitous for it to yes. have it occurred on the same day even that we had to reschedule our interview um so you had mentioned earlier that you've always been fascinated by Stephen King books and and the horror genre itself and then that your father also had uh been a, a big fan of uh, you said Stephen King specifically right that that was kind of where your fascination yeah, with him Stephen King yeah and he I mean his his interests tend to lie with now he's he's kind of a big vampire fan i never oh. got into that although i remember when i don't know if you remember when buffy the vampire slayer came out which is like i don't know 30 years ago 20 years ago quite a long time ago um he watched it first on some obscure channel and said have you watched this this new vampire show buffy the vampire i'm like no and then, he'd, <laughs> and then he'd start telling me about like oh, i'm the hellmouth and, and i was like what's that dad oh it's the hellmouth i'm like what's that and then he just then he described the whole law like the whole vampire law which is not my thing but um i find it i find it quite interesting that he's like he that's his that's, that's his, his genre interest. yeah you know, he knows all about like the whole bram stoker like it was so bizarre that i then got nominated for Bram Stoker, which is wow. like he would tell me about the original book and I remember reading it and he'd say, oh, well, of course that wasn't true to the original Bram Stoker and all this sort of stuff. And I was wow. Like, wow. <laughs> so in a way he did sort of subtly, or not so subtly influence me in yeah. reading it. Mum and dad are both like, they're quite voracious readers. They do, they read quite a lot, but I would say very different books than me, but dad, tends to 
he's a real champion of of sort of young adult middle grade fiction and i always think like that's so accessible to everybody every age like you can read children books even if you're an adult and you don't have children i think read anything you want don't feel that you have to be shut out of a genre because you're not that because you've aged out person Mm -hmm. which is the same with horror you know like and women and um i guess now there are more women into horror but before it was sort of very male same with sci-fi and fantasy you know it but now anything goes you can you can like what you like um and not have to worry about being a certain type of person sure is allowed into that little club or um you know that little click but yeah so i think I can't remember your original question, but yeah. Oh, I think I was just musing about... Yeah, I think uh, I I was just sort of influenced by... I I guess we are quite influenced by the people we live with or the people we've grown up with. Sure. And that that was just there, available, you know, on the shelves, so... Right. Well, that and, you know, it sounds like you have very vivid dreams and that your mind is just generally very active did you feel like it was your dreams that inspired this story do you have those kinds of horror type dreams that yes you know what i just my dream life i am like really at the moment i'm because i haven't been very far in three years you know a lot Mm. of people haven't traveled because sure whatever and i mean i've i've been abroad now but before my little world was like closing in like on just my little hometown and i'd hardly been anywhere um and so my dreams were becoming more and more vivid but i think i'm fascinated now by the fact people don't talk about it if they dream and we spend a third of our life unconscious isn't that bizarre like every day every 24 hour period that is really bizarre we we close our eyes and we like and then we then we open them again and this whole period of time has passed and no one thinks that's weird to talk about it like isn't that weird so i'm so i'm I'm constantly sort of questioning like the human experience and how we have to shut ourselves down um periodically well no but like frequently routinely yeah Mm -hmm. to to read to reboot ourselves like a machine i guess but then we're downloading all this information or we're processing all this information while we're in that sort of sleep mode sure never fully shut down never fully shut down and wouldn't it be amazing that in the future we could plug something into us that recorded in a kind of visual blockbuster movie way the things that we're experiencing in our head and i know that sounds bizarre and sci-fi now but we used to think looking at a screen of someone like this like we're doing this was sci-fi 50 years ago sure so who knows what's going to happen with you know the the technology um i mean personally i think that that's a bit scary but (laughs) well it's interesting i explain how do you explain dreams to someone else? They're so yeah. personal and nuanced and surreal. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they do kind of seep into fiction. They seep seep into poetry, and you and nothing's ever wasted. I always think you can use whatever mood, experience, um, even a line or a visual or 
a word that pops up you know you can use that yeah so yeah dream dreams are quite important to me and did you feel like it was your dreams that inspired the taxidermist lover what was your i mean inspiration for this story specifically i think that started with as i said it started as a kind of short story and we had to write something for um an event when we were um studying for the ma mm. and we had to all read out so it was kind of like a practice thing where we would all get up and on the stage and read something we'd written and i wasn't very comfortable confident about the other book that i'd written so i just quickly wrote this story which sort of started with the line um about mixing up the species mm. um and which is how the book starts and and then just went off on one about this character that suggested to her lover that he needed to diversify and mix up different species if he was going to get anywhere with his work you know the taxidermist um yeah and that was how it started so in a way that wasn't really dreams it was more it was more just a line and an image of someone having a conversation wow. about their work and it and just took it off from there. Sprung. Yeah. And then I thought about all the animals that could be um, hybrid taxidermy, so mixed up species. And then it was just off, like, and then I, it became like a gothic romance and all sorts of other things added into it. Yeah. But I always thought I would set it in Somerset, so it would, it would be in the place I know. Yes, that's right, because it, it does take place in Somerset, and mostly in, in their home that they have. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It was... Yeah, so this sort of isolated mind in the middle of the, in the, middle of the floods. Yeah, I didn't um, put two and two together, you just saying now that you're from Somerset, but uh, I ooh. feel like now I've been in your home because I've... Or in your hometown, <laughs> rather, <laughs> because I just so vividly can picture... Um, what it's like based on on your book and and based on the the big storms that you were talking about and and my mm. image of the house being completely surrounded and the the kind of moat that um, that her lover had dug for for them and yeah Henry digs the moat yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean it, it, there are places out on the moor that are like that wow literally haven't changed in years and it's sort of they're separated by ditches that we call reams um spelled r-h-y-n-e-s reams and they so that's how the the fields are kind of separated and they're filled with water and when there's a lot when there's a lot of rainfall the rivers overflow and fill up the fill up the field so it is like a big flooded lake almost and then all the birds land on it all the swans and the egrets and um wow so it's meant to be a floodplain. It was it's reclaimed land. Um, it's all kind of bits of it below sea wall, sea level. So back in sort of um, biblical times, there's there's accounts of people they would live out on these. Um, so they'd live on the marshes and they'd put walkways between them made of wood, sort of like uh, V shaped with with little wood planks and they'd walk between the the little 
the flooded bits or the watery bits to where the higher ground was. So a lot of around where Glastonbury is, um, there's there's lots of drawings and lots of stories around that, the people that, that lived there. And sort of, um, I think it's sort of Neolithic times as well, Stone Age kind of. So it's this huge, like, historical record of the landscape and how it affected people and how they lived there. Wow. I mean, that is just so amazing. And I feel like even the way that you describe it lends so much to your the way that you tell stories. And I'm so curious, since you'd said that, you know, it was just an idea, the taxidermist lover, just this idea that sprung (laughs) from this, you know, I need to share something and I don't have confidence in this story. And here's this line. What was the rest of your writing process? Like, it sounds like it really just, it, it started from this central idea and just took off. Did you feel like the story told itself to you or do you feel like you were very involved in the planning and the outlining of, of the story? What was, what was your writing process? I'm not a plotter. I'm not very good at spreadsheets and I get a bit disturbed by writers that plan everything out. <laughs> and they know what's going to happen on each chapter, like crime writing. I couldn't do that. Um, I kind of write intuitively and I feel into like what the character is uh is feeling. There's a lot of there's a lot of kind of um embodied writing. I find um I have to go with kind of the mood and I'm quite a slow writer because I because I have to go with that intuition. So sometimes I'll do a splurge of writing. I think oh, I've written quite a bit. Um and then, and then I'll just leave it because I I can't get into it. But I feel, um, yeah, in terms of the process, I guess I'm a very old school write on a write with a pen and paper and then type it up because I feel like it needs to come out of my arm. <laughs> it sounds really sure. weird onto the page. I can type straight onto the computer. But somehow that feels a bit more like editing. And I am a natural editor, so I kind of write and edit as I go. So I don't I don't write lots and then cut it all back, which I know some writers do. I tend to eke out the word so that I'm writing up to the word count rather than people who write too much and then have to cut it. Mm. Um, and I really admire people that have said, oh, I've written all this, I need to, I've written too much, I need to chop it up and cut it up and I'm like that's amazing but you've got it there and they're like oh no I'd rather be like you and you you take your time and you've got like the the sentence you want so I'm quite self-critical as all writers are and mm. I find it difficult and I'm frustrated by it and I think I should do more and then someone says, you've written a book. And I'm like, oh, yes, I have written a book. I'm really <laughs> grateful that I finished a book. Do you, do you know what I mean? But I feel like... Sure, oh, the self-critical like, out, like mm-hmm, Yeah, thinking. I, I want to write with the, with the speed that Stephen King writes. And, you know, <laughs> how does he do it? Just all these original stories. Yeah. So, well, yeah, I don't know. It's not a mysterious thing. It's just, that's just how I do it. I don't really think about sort of if I could change it but I know things that don't work I know the plotting things that work I know the 
trying to slot things in doesn't work it's sort of more of a yeah organic process sure yeah well that makes a lot of sense too i think it lends to the style excuse me it lends to the style of your book too the way that it kind of jumps around in timeline and i mean it is still linear in that Mm. it's you know follows throughout the year but going from today and then you know early morning today january later in the morning today february just that kind of jumping around feels very um almost like you you have to kind of let the story tell itself to you and I think that that is so cool and I just admired so much I told Polly a hundred times but now I can tell you the audience that uh this was the first book I read when I joined CamCat and it was it it still just has such a hold on me I, I love it so much it the whole and Polly and I were talking about it before we started recording because I just I, I had to, to say that the chapter, um, I'm a woman because of curls of purple longing and, and the whole, just the whole, the whole chapter, I, I saved it on my phone just because it, it, it reads so beautifully. And, and I can tell the, the effort you put into every single sentence, into every single word choice. It just, it, it, it's so clear the whole book reads like poetry but that chapter in particular just is so gripping to me and, and I listen to it even though the book is very much not a, a, a female empowerment book it's very much you know this woman losing <laughs> herself in this in this relationship and, and into her own you know things that she is going through but but that chapter in particular just stands out to me as as something that when I need a little reminder of a how to feel beautiful that to me just sticks out as 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 something to to remember and so i've saved it and mm. it was funny because i wanted to show polly earlier and i pulled it up so easily on my phone because i listened to it so often it was just ready for for it to be pulled up um and so it's just so nice to hear that from from a you know from you as a reader that you've taken something that it's just a part of the whole and it was yeah in terms of like yeah maybe the character is not an empowered female like you would read in other fiction books but in a way i'm i like to write about the real i like to write about the taboo the things we don't talk about the Mm -hmm. the the self-flagellation that women go through the 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 unhelpful and downright destructive relationships we get ourselves into absolutely and the effect of those actions and you know like no one ever talks about the 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 damage or that that we do to ourselves or you know like how women are so quick and easy to like sort of put themselves down physically mentally professionally and um i mean it's just perfect for for horror writing that sort of um pulling up those traits that we have even in this day and age you know where we're 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 all kind of um trying to do our best but in a character that's so self-absorbed it's quite easy in a way to to highlight those things and scarlet in the taxidermist lover is is full of those 
full of those traits where she she reflects it almost back in Henry. She she reflects the the dark. I call it like the dark, dirty stuff that they both are uh, swimming through in their relationship. And relationships in themselves are the greatest test. Uh, you know, whether it's men or women or or homosexual, bisexual, whatever. Um, whatever relationship you enter into families are are the biggest test i believe in in trying to mine what you're kind of what what's going on here you know why have i got this person in my life so yeah i i, I like that i like delving into those questions and uh how we relate and yes. how our inner life often is is constantly like whirring away mm -hmm. like she's constantly i mean she's in her head the whole time and um relaying it back to him so she's talking second person which is also a weird thing i don't know, even know how i came to write in second person some people i was going that. to ask you second person were you yeah second person. oh yeah, yeah just some of the choices that you made it seems I mean, I don't feel like the story yeah, can be told in any other way, <laughs> but it, it, I'm sure that must have been very difficult for you to have to write in second person yeah. the whole time, but I, I made it. Like oh, it was one of the things that made it so relatable, I think, to me, you know, in addition to this whole, and, and like you said, it, it's this reflecting on the negative parts just as much, you know, she's putting on this, um, this look for a lot of the people outside, you know, when she goes to all of these events too, and, um, and with Henry and, uh, she's putting on this face and, and then you really get to see what's going on inside. And there's a, a lot going on. And, and, you know, as I said, I was able to take away this one single chapter that made me feel empowered, but really the story as a whole was, it was not an empowering story. It's very much, you're watching this person who, just doesn't seem to have a grasp on reality or, or quite a grasp on on just on any on on what's going on around she her doesn't even know what's happening I mean, yeah. yeah it's a complete car crash she's just like what is happening i mean you have to read it right to the end to realize and you kind of think like putting a spoiler out there but that's okay we're, we're okay for spoilers. what's happening you know but it yeah i wanted i did always want to write from that perspective and the second person thing is i'm fascinated by that i did research into books there's very few books that are written in second person probably for the reason that they are quite difficult to write sure. in novel length but i did it and i think they do fascinate me because they're so close it's like you are the person talking to someone else or talking to the reader or whatever but in this case Scarlet is talking to Henry so it, it is like you're glimpsing inside someone's relationship and you're trying to you, you know like you're the voyeur of that of that everything the ins and outs the dark stuff the the, the things that no one ever talks about behind closed doors and even like in her own head, you're seeing how, you're hearing how she is viewing it and retrospectively, because it 
flicks backwards so it's christmas day but it keeps flicking back to the previous year so right. sort of like trying to make sense and my bit i guess like it is it is a character trying to make sense of something what, right. what you know what's happening what has happened here not externally or just uh environmentally around them with the flood and the storms and whatever and all the gothic kind of things but sort of what what has happened to them sure. how did it get to this point which is often what a lot of people ask when they get to the end of a relationship what how did we get to this point yeah. you know? <laughs> and um and i think that the way that yeah. it does kind of go back and forth from past to present it is it, very much in line with how at least i remember things you know jumping around and there are these moments of awareness that bring me to present and then I okay I've dealt with the current situation now I can kind of go back in my memory again and and relive this moment and um it it's so interesting I mean as I, I I've been singing your phrases this whole time because I really do feel like this is such a such an impactful story and while I you know don't all agree with <laughs> all of the choices Scarlett made and and you know a lot of her thought process I felt so um so connected to her and I honestly I think part of that was also that um before I read the book physically I listened to the audiobook because that's how I become acquainted with the books um for the podcast and um, listening to the audiobook, hearing those words um, spoken to, to you, um, it, it's as if you're thinking them in your head, uh, or at least that's how my thoughts kind of work, like how I'm, I, I speak in sentences in my head to myself, you know, about the world around me. So that to me made the book very relatable too. And so I'm curious as to your experience listening to the audiobook, having your words read back to you. Uh, if you felt like that was, you know, a, a surreal experience, if you felt like that's maybe how your thoughts work as well, um, kind of having a conversation with no one in your head, but but really trying to relay a message. Hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I don't, I'm not really good at listening to audiobooks. I have hmm. listened have to admit i've not listened all the way through to my audiobook <laughs> that's it's okay a bit like that thing where you hear your own story read to you and um or when you see an adaptation of something and mm. you think i see the character like this i see the character in my head this is how i see the scenes <clears throat> playing out but yeah i mean audiobooks are great and i love how readers make up their own mind with um how they how they see the action um and i guess with someone reading it to you you have that added nuance of the, this is what the they sound like voice yeah which is yeah which is also an influence whereas in a book where you're reading with your eyes you are absorbing a different kind of um medium so i think they all have their place i mean i think it's great that books get put into so many different formats that are accessible for different people but i it's a bit like i guess like an actor watching their own performance sure and i find that a bit 
I, f I find it a bit uneasy to be honest if i'm being briefly honest yeah and i'm not a great i'm not a great audiobook listener um although i think they are amazing if you're traveling or you're and actually when i was in the car a lot when i used to work and i used to commute i would listen a lot so um and podcasts yeah i like podcasts but yeah audiobooks um they they're loaded aren't they they're loaded with with nuance and symbolism and the reader's voice sure influencing the story and i was listening actually the other day to i'm getting really into sylvia plath again because i read a lot of her mm. i was studying english and um i tried to find a female voice reading the poem lesbos which i don't know if you know sylvia plath poetry so this was a poem and it starts off with um, viciousness in the kitchen, the potatoes hiss. And it's all about this visit she has to a family mm. uh, in Cornwall. And she doesn't really get on with the woman. And it's like this really acidic, acerbic attack on this other woman through the language. And I tried to Google like a woman reading it. It's all just men reading it. Viciousness in the kitchen. And I was like, no, a woman needs to read it. So I just looked everywhere. So if anyone's got any links to a woman. <laughs> yeah, I mean, please I'm, share I'm in sure the comments. <laughs> there wouldn't be Sylvia Plath reading it because I, I think it was published posthumously by Ted Hughes. But mm. um, to hear her actually reading that poem would have been phenomenal just to hear how the re how the, how the speaker the would have had yeah 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 but yeah it's, it's just it's just so interesting that it's a poem about women and, and it's like men sort of academics reading that is it. interesting so, yeah I, I kind of really noticed that but yeah, yeah i do like her work it's just incredible sort of she was only 30 some 31 or something when she died and she'd oh, written wow. all these amazing poems so yeah. yes, that's my American poet. Yes, um, and audiobook take. I, I think that's a really interesting perspective too because I've heard a lot of authors say, oh, I felt like my character came to life when reading, uh, when, when hearing the audiobook for the first time. But I didn't even think about if this character, you know, is is not in alignment with what you're hearing if it's something that it's like you said what you can't really explain your dreams to people in a way that they'll see it exactly yeah. the way that you see it so i imagine that having that similar sensation of like oh how do i portray this voice in the exact way that i hear it and yeah and it's so difficult it's so difficult and i i mean i think it's done really well mm -hmm. and uh it's just a personal people have said they love you know, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, book. and it is a personal choice on you. You know what you what you what medium you prefer. I guess absolutely. So yeah, no, nothing nothing against anybody reading audiobooks. It's just no, my preferred thing is I like I actually physical like physical book. books as mm -hmm. well rather than Kindle ebooks whatever. I like reading off paper. I'm such an old-fashioned soul. Um, I appreciate a physical book as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know how many pages you got left then. So sure, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I'm a big uh, note taker in the margins too, and and I, I you can do that in some of the some newer Kindles and things. But I like yeah, I like knowing oh this is how much progress I've made, like being able to hold that in your hands. Oh my god, I can I appreciate love that you love like yes. marginalia. I'm like constantly. <laughs> I used to have this thing about oh you don't the sanctity of a book. You I used to be the same way, <laughs> and now I just get my pen out and I'm literally like underlining. Yes, scribbling in the margins. I feel like it weirdly it does sugar. the book justice when you can yes. really break it down and appreciate it. I feel like that is almost what an author. I mean now that I've talked to several, I almost feel like authors kind of hope that you would do that extra digging and, and, and feel so moved as to take notes and, and yeah, give it a little extra attention. Would do that like to your <laughs> book. They would scribble all over it. I'm, I'm all for that. Get the red pen out. Stop <laughs> scribbling. I love that. <laughs> well, I'm going to shift gears just a little bit because I have a couple more questions that I really want to ask you before we run out of time. Obviously, The Taxidermist Lover is your debut novel. So I'm wondering if you have, um, well, you said that you had shifted gears from another story. Um, did you ever end up revisiting that? Do you have other stories that you've either published or are close to publishing that um, you you want to share with us? That, that story, the original one, there's like, there might be bits. I've used but in, I never really went back to it it's still in a drawer somewhere okay um, but I wrote during like lockdown year I wrote uh, a memoir um, based on my experiences of being ill so I had endometriosis well, I've got endometriosis and it's been like kind of in the news a bit more now but it was very severe and it wasn't really diagnosed which is why I got so poorly oh my gosh um, yeah and then it got diagnosed but I've just been recently reading, just going off tack a bit. Hil you know, Hilary Mantel died, um, Booker Prize winner. Mm. He wrote Wolf Hall and Bring Up the Bodies and loads of other novels. She she recently died. I was really moved by her by her death because she did. I'm just reading her autobiography now, which I've never read before. But she suffered like for many many years with endometriosis, and it like interesting. It's, kind of, it's awful. It's like a sort of and it's a real, it's a real sort of misunderstood illness in women. And um, still, there must be loads of undiagnosed women out there that, sure, that yeah, experience um, not just like the gynecological bits, but kind of the the lethargy, the tiredness, and it was sort of like that was her prompt into becoming a writer because she could fit it around her illness you know mm. she took steroids for years which sort of changed her body and morphed her body and con this constant battle with like how you're feeling and so yeah so in terms of like writing i am like mindful of how i need to look after myself and writing does fit around that and well good um so i wrote this memoir about living with endometriosis mm. and combined with my adoption story so because i'm adopted I was oh adopted as a baby and so that so i called it blood and blood it isn't published i just wrote it and submitted it and it was shortlisted for the mislexia prize which is sort of like a, a big magazine um, wow women's magazine so it didn't win but i was like I, I was really, really pleased to get that sort of 
like shortlisting. So I wrote that. That was like a complete project, and it's just sat there waiting for someone to do something with it. Mm. Um, so yeah, I've I've worked on that, and I am slowly finishing the prequel to the Taxidermist Lover, which I have set myself a deadline. Tell you can tell Helga, my editor. Um, <laughs> end <laughs> end of november which i know is like only a few days weeks <laughs> but I, i'm halfway through and it's henry's story so the prequel oh. is henry's story the taxidermist before he meets scarlet interesting so that is kind of i've been like festering on this one since the taxidermist lover but there's so many offshoots that you could write from that book. I mean, there's Rhett, the whole, there'd be a whole book there on oh, yeah, twin brother, Rhett. On their childhood and everything. And their childhood, yeah. Like, he's a right, like, one to to get his own voice. Um, so, yeah, there's, it's all there, as they say. The book's there. Just need to put it into a, a Word document. <laughs> i understand it is it is, it is it is there other writers will get that yeah but, yeah well i'm very excited that sounds like i will get to hopefully have that on my desk pretty soon so i'm very so. much looking really forward to that so. i hope oh yeah i hope whoever yeah publishes it well comes out hopefully um that they'll like it but yeah it's it it's um Oh, it's just, you know, you have to get out of your own way, basically, to write something. And I am often stood there in the middle of my own path, mm. blocking myself. So, <laughs> Well, I think that's very relatable. I understand that. <laughs> yeah, I think it is for every job, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Well, Polly, before we wrap up, where can we find you? How do we stay in touch with your work and what you're doing? Well, I kind of use Instagram quite a lot these days. So I'm on Instagram as at Polly Hall Writer with little underscores between Polly and Hall Writer. Um, and if you Google me, if you Google Polly Hall, I think I come up on like the internet. Perfect. So I've got a website. I've got, I'm on Twitter. Is your website Polly Hall Writer? as well my, my, no my website is just polyhall.co.uk perfect so UK. um and uh yeah so may, mostly i've got facebook page so facebook instagram twitter and um yeah that's sort of like how you can catch up with what i'm doing i do sort of other things like community arts projects and poetry events and things like that so that's all uk based and things are coming up with books for related things will be on there very so, yeah cool. follow me say hi yes absolutely well polly thank you so so much for coming on with us this was so much fun i'm so glad i finally got to pick your brain yeah i knew oh, oh look my cat vishnu's just joined us oh hello you can't, you can't to, okay see his ear oh, i can see the little ear <laughs> little ear little ginger ear got in there oh yeah. yes okay oh. quickly before uh before we wrap up i do i've heard that you have a swoodle of your own and do you can you <gasps> share it do you have 
it nearby i've got it here yeah hang on how am i gonna do this i have to get up hang on <laughs> it's kind of oh hang on sorry i didn't mean to to make you make, make sure my, i'm gonna make sure my my um i don't strangle the cat with my headphones oh. <laughs> well, let me see if i can turn it right there it is oh my gosh yeah my brother made it wow that is uh cold cast bronze and then he put gold leaf wow the um on the heart so it's pretty big it looks huge yeah so what is the the like poodle the, element here so the poodle is like where the heart is where the heart is that oh. was like the ball of poodle fluff or fur oh my and gosh heart shaped and then the t-swan's necks and the wings so oh yeah, that, that is exactly so cool like, so that was it was drawn like um it was it was kind of drawn like that in the book and right. um Stu's did like the sculpture my brother wow made it kind of like that but yeah I, I love it i love i love that he did that like for my launch yes and um oh, that is so fireplace. sweet wow yeah so i'm very lucky to have a sculptor as a brother so yeah yeah that's very special well thank you so much again for for joining us polly this is i i so informative i feel like i got to hear so much about your life and about your writing process and and in general the way your brain works which has been so wonderful oh <laughs> yeah good luck with that well thank you so much for asking questions it's been a right pleasure like talking to you and just across the across the ocean yes so, well likewise um, such a pleasure and to our listeners at home you can find the taxidermist lover in ebook audiobook and print formats on our website camcatbooks.com you can listen to camcat unwrapped on all major podcasting platforms or watch us on our youtube channel and make sure you follow us on social media at camcatbooks thank you all so so much for tuning in and unwrapping another one of our books to live in with me my name is Jess, and I'll see you all next time here on CamCat Unwrap.